We're going to talk about truth this morning. We're going to talk about a wonderful uh, truth uh, as the sermon unfolds. Uh, Truth, when you think about truth, you know, two plus two equal four is truth, correct? Truth is is objective. Uh, it's, It's something that's factual. That's truth. If you eat more calories than you burn, you wear the cupcakes, correct? Correct? That's true. That's not a good truth, but that's truth, right? That, that, is, that is the truth. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. We've been in these for uh, five or six weeks now. This is our last sermon uh, in the series Sins, Scandals, and Second Chances. And today we're going to celebrate, we're going to get to at the end of the sermon, the second chance, the wonderful part, the victory part that is truth. But to get there, we've got to go and do a reminder or two, some truths that aren't as pretty. And here is the first part of that. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. This is a truth. It's not a wonderful truth. I mean, there's no hidden thing here. Uh, it's a hard truth, but it's going to help us, I think, get to where we need to be in a moment. If you have your Bibles, in chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, it says, we've, we've read these several times the last month, David sent messengers to get her. Her was Bathsheba. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness, which meant that when she came to David, she was not pregnant. Uh, and then it says she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So it was David's, it was David's baby. And verse 26 and 27, the end of the chapter, it says, When Uriah's wife heard her husband was dead, remember David played a big part in that, she mourned for him, and after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But look at this, but the thing David had done displeased, and that Hebrew word displeased literally means makes to quiver. It means it emotionally upset the Lord. Now, here's just a quick summary. If you've been here, if you haven't, uh, an overview. David's the king of Israel. It's a, he, he's in his prime. Things are great. He's supposed to go to war to lead his troops. He doesn't go to war. He stays home. He's out one evening, and he's walking around on his, his roof, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Ironically, the woman bathing is named Bathsheba, and he, he has her brought to him, and he's told before, he said, this is Uriah's wife. Uriah was one of David's special men. I mean, he was close to him. Uh, Bathsheba's dad was one of David's special men. He was close to them, and her grandfather was one of his advisors, so this is really a strange deal. She comes to him, they have sex, and she gets pregnant. Then David tries to cover it up. He tries to do some, some things to make it look like Uriah's the, the, the daddy, but Uriah will not cooperate. So David does the next best thing in this kind of scenario. He has Uriah killed. And then uh, after Uriah dies, then David has uh, Bathsheba comes to him, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. No, 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 no. God's seeing it all. It's horrible. It's bad. It's sinful. And, and uh, you know, the truth this morning is, is we're all sinners. Do you know that? Every one of us are sinners. You, you may not, but you say, well, I don't have on my list adultery and murder and good friends and stuff like that. Uh, that that's wonderful. Keep those off your resume as much as you can. But we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. I heard of a company in Malibu, California, that literally they, they have a 10 by 15 wall in a very public place in their business. And when you 
blow it, you make a bad mistake at work, you are encouraged to go and write your mistake out on that wall in a permanent marker and sign it into to, uh, the CEO had, you know, some theories on why he wanted people to do that, and the CEO started off. He wrote one of his big mistakes on there, and he signed it in permanent ink. You know, this morning, I don't know about you, I don't really want to go to the big screen and write some of my worst sins for you to see in permanent ink. Do you want to? If you want to, you go first, then I'll go second. I promise, I promise, I promise, right? You don't have to do that this morning, but here's a wise thing to do, and that's acknowledge that you, you blow it with God. Romans 3.23, listen to what it says. It says, for all women have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It would be good if you're a man and it, it says, what was it say? Read it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, this is not a pretty truth, but this is going to help us get to the truth, the good truth in a moment. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Here's the second thing. There's always a price to pay for our sins. There was an old redneck saying in Tennessee, if you're going to dance, you've got to pay the fiddler. <laughs> I never really knew what that meant, but I, I knew that that meant you are going to get spanked when you got home. There's always a price to pay for our sin. In chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Now therefore the sword, this is Nathan the prophet talking to King David, will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Let me again give you a little summary of what happened. David had done this and about nine months went by, in fact, long enough for, for Bathsheba to have the baby. And everybody, everybody knew what was going on and it, it had creeped out into the community. People were talking. There's there, there no question about that. And, and Nathan confronts him and Here's what the results of these sin. Some of this is punishment of God. Some of it's just natural cause and effect. His kids went stark, raving mad. Let me give you a, a warning this morning. You want to be crazy, mom and dad, and you want to you have a midlife crisis, buy a watch. <laughs> buy a watch. Get a toupee. Do whatever you need to do. But remember, there's going to be a price to pay when you play. Here's what happened with David's kids. One of his sons, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, David's daughter, Tamar, rapes her. David gets furious, but he doesn't do anything. And, and by the way, blowing your stack and getting mad and not doing anything just makes you look stupid, okay? So David doesn't do anything. Well, well the Absalom, the full brother of Tamar, half-brother of Amnon, says his dad's not going to do anything. I'll do something. So he murders Amnon. And David again gets furious. But what does he do? He doesn't do anything. Time goes by. Absalom eventually rebels against his dad, runs his dad out of Jerusalem, takes his concubines, his women, and has sex with them on the palace roof for the world to see, tries to kill his dad, and then Absalom dies a horrible death. Four of David's sons die prematurely. Three of them die horrible deaths. As a fruit and a result of David just having a little fun late one night. I want to tell you this morning, this is so important. Young people, the, learn, the quicker you learn this, the better off you'll be. God gives you a lot of freedom. God gives you a whole lot of freedom. But with freedom, there's responsibility. And when you sin, there's a price to pay for your sin. I read a story this week about a lady in Yellowstone National Park. 
The park rangers who, who was interviewed said there are signs all over the park. Don't mess with the wild beast. Stay away from the wild beast. Don't feed the wild beast. A lady named Kathy House, a school teacher, decided that rule didn't really apply to her. Now, she ended up being okay, but she sees a buffalo in the road, and she gets out of the car. Oochie-coochie little buffalo. Well, guess what happens? The buffalo charges. I've never been around buffalo, but I've seen cowboy movies. How many of you have seen cowboy movies? The buffalo always catches the human, right? <laughs> and the buffalo caught the school teacher, flipped her up in the air, roughed her up. She ended up being okay, but the park ranger interviewed said, we have hundreds of signs all over the park. Warning, don't mess with a wild beast. But what do people do? They mess with a wild beast. There used to be a saying, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. And when you see in there is a price to pay, Galatians 6, 7, you ought to memorize this verse. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow, good or bad. What we plan is what we get, okay? Terrible truths, but they're important truths. Now, let's look at a great truth this morning. There is always still hope. There is still great hope. Now, folks, I don't know what your personal situation is this morning. My bet is there's people here who feel like there may not be hope. Maybe you you, you go, you know what, man, I have blown it. My sins, my past, my present is so bad that there's not much hope for me. Or certainly if it's not you, you have family members or you have friends who may be looking at their life resume and going, you know what, man, my life is a waste. There's really not much hope for me. Psychologists have told us for years one of the worst things you can lose is hope. When you don't feel like there's hope anymore, whether it's your marriage or your life, your relationship with God, when you lose hope, you are in a desperate and terrible spot. Let me tell you something, folks. There's still hope with God. David had blown it and messed up about as bad as you could do it. But we're going to see there was still hope for him. I want to tell you this morning. Now, some of you may be going, well, you know, I'm really good and I'm not bad and this doesn't apply to me. You better put your seatbelt on because I want to tell you who the devil will hit the hardest and he'll end up tripping you is the person who thinks they're above it all. So I want to tell you, when you fall, when you fall, if you never have or if you have, there's still great hope. Here's some thoughts behind this. Number one, you are still loved deeply by God. Okay, what happened to David, what happens to you and me, is the devil baits us, he traps us, we step into the trap, and then the devil goes, you are sorry. Man, you're terrible. You go to First Baptist, you go to that church, and you say you love Jesus, look what you did. You are a scumbag. And you have religious people that are standing on the sidelines going, uh-huh, look at them, mm-hmm. I hope they join another church. But I want to tell you something. God's love for you and me is unconditional. What that means is, it's no matter how pretty or how ugly, how good you smell, how bad you smell, how good you are morally or how bad you are, unconditional means God loves you despite you and me. A great verse is Ephesians 3.18. Listen to what it says. I want you to grasp, have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide How long, how high and deep is the love of Christ? Listen, 
Others may be mean to you. They may reject you. You may not feel it. Listen, your feeling is not always truth. In fact, a lot of times, how you feel and I feel is not truth. It's subjective. It's up and down. That's why we can say, I'm moody. I feel good today. I feel bad today. Because it's not objective truth. Here's an objective truth. And this is hope. No matter what you've done, God loves you as much as he loves anybody else on the planet. That's great news, isn't it? So I want to tell you this morning, there's still hope for you no matter what your resume looks like, your past, your present, or what happens in the future. God loves you deeply. Now, here's a part of this hope, and that's this, repent. Okay? We're trying to find hope. God still loves us. What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to repent. In chapter 12, verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, well, God's going to take away your sins and you're not going to die. In the 32nd Psalm, and remember Psalms 51 and Psalms 32 are twin sister Psalms to this story. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I confess my transgressions and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Folks, what does God want you to do when you're in a mess? He wants you to repent. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Some of us are in a hole, and we're going deeper and deeper in trouble, and we're going, I don't know what to do. It's getting deeper. Stop digging. Change your behavior is what this is saying. There used to be a website. It still may be up. It, It was on the last words of Texas death row inmates. And as you can imagine, it's pretty interesting. Some of the things they say are profound. Some of them are are goofy, and some of them are are just odd. I I read this week one inmate right before he, I mean, they're on the gunny, and they're they're fixing to inject them and kill them. One of them said, well, mistakes have been made. Now, look, if you're innocent and they're fixing to kill you, you scream till the end. But when you've, when you've murdered somebody or you've done something worth the death penalty, don't just, well, mistakes are made. And see, that's what some of us do, are doing with God. We are so generic. Lord, if I have sinned, forgive me. Well, you, t- you have sinned. <laughs> Quit playing games. Don't bring me into it. Lord, if we, I, don't bring me into your sin. I got plenty of my own. Lord, if we've made any mistakes, don't say if I've made it, Lord, if I'm, say, God, I've sinned against you and other people. That's what repentance is. Another inmate, he's fixing to die. Here were his last words. He said, well, nothing I can say will change the past. There is some truth to that, but I want to tell you, some things you can say can change your present and your future. And what God wants you to do is God wants me, you and me to repent. Remember what repentance is. Repentance is a 180. It means I'm going this way, and I turn around, and I go another way. And, and now there's things the rest of your life that you're going to have to confess and repent. You're going to struggle with your, your tongue. You're going to struggle with your attitude. I, but I, say, I said this a few weeks ago, adultery and murder don't need to be things you're confessing and turning from every day. Correct? Would you agree with that? <laughs> so what do we do? We need hope. 
Hope is, is found in knowing that God loves us regardless. Hope then is found in repentance, a willingness to say, God, I want to turn my life around to you. Okay? Here's the third thing, and here's what happens when we repent. God forgives us completely. God will completely forgive you. Now listen, we don't understand this. Because we don't forgive other people near like we should. We don't forgive ourselves like we should. And we have people in our lives who have never forgiven us. So what does this mean? Well, again, 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says, I have sinned. And Nathan says, God's going to take away your sin. He's going to forgive you and you're not going to die. David had committed adultery and murder, two death penalty crimes. God said, I'm forgiving you of that. Now let's look at some beautiful words again in Psalms 32, verse 2. Listen to what he says. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And in whose spirit there's no deceit. In the 51st Psalm, verse 7, listen to what David said. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. We confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9 is a great verse for Christians. If we confess, if is the key word, that if we confess. Confessing is saying the same thing about our sin as God does. It's saying, God... I've sinned. You know what I've sinned. What I've done is wrong. It's mine. God is faithful and just to forgive and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, guys, listen. This is so wonderful. And we can't get our hands around this. When you get serious with God and you confess your sins with a desire to turn from them, God forgives you completely, totally. In other words... When you got saved, everything in your past was forgiven. And as a Christian, as you walk with Jesus and you confess your sins, they're forgiven and forgotten. See, we don't have that ability, do we? You can forgive me and I can forgive you and hopefully we can let it go, but it's still there. You can forgive yourself, but, but it's still there. And the devil's always jumping up and reminding you what they did to you and, and what you've done. But God can forgive us completely. Here's a story that illustrates it greatly. Joel Gregory is a preacher in Texas. Back in the early 90s, maybe it was 90 or 91, back when people were just, most people were just getting computers for themselves, he was typing a book. He was writing the, a book on the Bible book of James. He was in a hotel, and he had typed two chapters of the book, and there's a power surge. Bzzz, everything goes out and then back on. And guess what? When the computer comes back on, there's no book on the computer. He hadn't saved anything. Nobody knew about computers much then. So he plays around, and he can't find it. He calls this computer geek friend of his, and he said, Hey, I'm in the hotel. I'm typing this book. I got two chapters done. There's a power surge, and then it vanishes. Tell me what that's about. He said, What do you mean what it's about? Did you save your work? What do you mean save my work? He said, Well, Dr. Gregory, it's gone. He said, What do you mean gone? I mean, it's gone. He said, Where is it? He said, It's nowhere. And Dr. Gregory said, Let's start over. I've typed two chapters in a book, and I can't find it. Where is it? He said, it's nowhere. It doesn't exist. It's disappeared. It's vanished. 
You see, when you confess your sins and you do business with God, they're gone. Let me look at me for a second. How many of that thrills you? Or would you rather stand before God for about, oh, six to eight weeks and go through a litany of all the things you've done someday? Psalms 103, 12, listen to what it says. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Folks, look at the sky some night. East and west, as far as we can tell, there's no starting and ending point. In other words, God's removed them completely from you. Why is there hope? Here's why there's hope. Because no matter what you've done, when you go to God, he will wipe the slate clean. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. Only two sins God can't forgive. One is called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is probably two categories of it. It's ultimately, it's rejecting Jesus. It's not becoming a Christian. And in this, it would be a person who's a lost person. This is a sin of a non-Christian who would look at things that God was doing and say, that's of the devil. It's slandering the Holy Spirit, basically, is what it's doing. Again, one of the best proofs you've never committed that is that you're concerned that you've committed that, okay? And the other sin God can't forgive is the sin you won't confess. You want to hang on to it? You want to waller in it? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess. What a great hope. If we confess, God will wipe the slate Clean, And here's the last thing this morning. God still has great plans for your life. Man, this is so good. David had blown it about as bad as it could be blown. But I want to read to you some verses and tie them together for you. Way back a couple of uh, book before, in, in 1 Samuel 13, listen to what Nathan the prophet says to the, the then King Saul. But now your kingdom will not endure, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man, he's talking about David, after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. Now jump ahead a thousand years over into Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and listen to what it says there. Acts 13, 22. Well, okay, here's what it says. Okay, there, yeah. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do everything I want him to do. Here's, here's something that's awesome. Listen, before all this happened, God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. Now, it had been real easy after David Lusted, murdered, adultery, cover-up. For God to say, you know what? He was a man after my own heart, but he's not anymore. But because David made things right with God, even after all that junk, God could still say, this is a man after my own heart. In, in, the, in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, a thousand years later, read these names in Matthew 1 with me. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father, father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You see, here's Satan's lie to you this morning. Satan starts by saying, why, what you've done, God can't ever really love you. God doesn't really love you. God can't forgive you fully. 
And God sure can't use you or do anything with your life. Now, he can forgive you, maybe, and we can put you on a corner spot in the church and tell you to be quiet and come and give your money, but God can't ever use you. That's just the exact opposite of what happened with David. Chuck Colson, you may or may not know this name, Chuck Colson was a very accomplished guy. He was a, he was a Marine officer. He was a lawyer. He argued cases before the Supreme Court. And he was so good, he became an aide for President Richard Nixon's White House. By the way, being in Richard Nixon's White House in the early 70s ended up not being a real good gig. In fact, Chuck Colson went to federal prison for his crimes that he had committed in the Nixon White House. But while he was in prison, he became a Christian. And he spent the rest of his life doing prison ministry, writing books, serving God all over the world. Here's what he said. He said, here's the irony of it and how God works. All my military training, my great legal training, it was my greatest failure and sin that God used in my life to make the true success out of me. Isn't that wonderful? I want to tell you, God's not finished with you. God's not finished with you unless you decide you're finished with him. That family member or friend who you're talking to is so discouraged, God's not finished with them if they won't give up on God. How many of you saw the movie Seabiscuit? Any of you? That's that's, the best I remember. It's been a long time. It's a good movie. But the story behind it is a great story. A, A millionaire guy named Charles Howard Went, was going into the racehorse business. And he goes out and he finds an old cowboy named Tom Smith to be his trainer. Tom Smith's kind of uh, crotchety and cranky. But Charles Howard sees how Tom Smith handles horses. And he sees that there's a horse with a broken leg. Now, this was in the 1930s. So a horse that breaks its leg, you're, you're going to euthanize it almost every time then, I'm guessing. And... and Tom Smith decides not to put it down. And Charles Howard asked him, why did you not put that horse down? And he said, well, you don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a little bit. So he said, I like that attitude. And he hired him. They go out and they buy this horse, Seabiscuit, which is uh, too short, too small, uh, and, and its temperament was not good, but they think it's a winner. And then they hire this jockey named Red Pollard. And, and Red Pollard's kind of shady. In fact, he's considered too tall to be a jockey. He's 5'7". Now, I'm 5'9 and a half. If 5'7 if is too tall to be a jockey, you know, I'm going to start hanging around the, the race barns. And, <laughs> how you little guys doing? I would be a jockey, but NBA, I'm too big for y'all. So they hire this guy. And Red Pollard's riding Seabiscuit, and they're at this big race at Santa Anita, California. And right at the end, a horse comes past Seabiscuit and wins. And, and Tom Smith goes crazy. He said to, to Red Pollard, he said, you should have seen that horse. You could have cut it off. You should have kicked Seabiscuit in. You should have won. What happened? And Red Pollard blurts out, I'm blind in that eye, which that, you don't want a jockey who's blind in one eye. Tom Smith is furious, and he tells Charles Howard, the owner, we got we to fire Red Pollard. And the owner says, no, I don't think so. Tom Smith says, why not? 
He said, well, I don't think you throw away a whole life because it's banged up a little bit. Folks, that's God. Everybody in here is banged up a little bit, or you will be. But here's the great hope that if you will come back to God or come to God, he's got great plans for the rest of your life if you'll let him have you. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, I want you to re-embrace this hope today. Some of you need to re-embrace it big time. If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you where you're seated to give your life to Jesus. Right now, this morning, will you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son who died and arose for me. And and today, Jesus, today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. You just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. Are you ready to? Will you come today? And let us help you with that. Walk out of this room this morning knowing you're going to heaven. Don't put that decision off. Maybe you'd like to join our church. One way you can do this morning is is just slip out and come down. We'll be down here waiting on you. Come down here. Let us talk to you. Help you. You can join today. But all of us in here who are Christ followers, some of you are banged up today. You need to come this morning, maybe where you're standing here, come to the altar and minister and repent and say, with the help of God, I'm moving forward. Maybe you want to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar for a family member or a friend who's banged up and who needs to refine that hope. Folks, God's offering his hand, but we've got to reach out and take it. Let's do it today. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come, you respond to him this morning.